0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. If you have a Bible, let's go to Jonah chapter 2 this morning. Jonah chapter 2. If you are a guest, it's your first time with us, let me welcome you. On behalf of all the members, we are uh, excited to have you with us this morning. Our hope is that you will go from feeling like guest to feeling like family just as soon as possible. And uh, Luke will come up at the end of the service and he'll share about ways that you can get connected if you desire to do so. Um, We are in a series we've entitled No Mercy, a series where we are walking verse by verse through the book of Jonah. And today we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 2. I'm going to actually read the entire chapter. It's verses 1 through verse 10. Verse 1 through verse 10. If you're having a hard time finding Jonah, start in Matthew. Flip over about eight books to the left. You should be able to find it. If you don't have a Bible, we'll be sure and put the words on the screen for you. Jonah chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying... I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me, Forever. Yet. You brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I will, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you take this very bizarre story that those of us growing up in church remember as being almost somewhat of a fairy tale. And I pray that you will help us by faith to believe that it is true, and that it is not just true news, that it is good news. This morning, I know that we come in here, many of us, as runners, many of us living um, in disobedience to things that you've called us to do, believing lies, that there's something better in the world than you. And I pray that right now, through the power of your Spirit, that you will expose those lies, and that you will shine the light of your truth into our hearts, and that you will transform us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Growing up, my dad had this look. I don't know if anybody else, if your parents, or your mom, or your dad, or your grandma or grandpa had this look, but it was the look where they could say a whole lot without saying anything, if you know what I'm talking about. And uh, thank you for that, amen. Um, specifically, I remember instances where, you know, my dad's been a pastor my whole life, and if he was preaching and my mom had nursery, um, I would find myself talking and obviously not paying attention to the preaching because there was better things to do. Um, And my dad had a knack for pausing just long enough in his sermon. If he saw me talking while he was preaching, he would pause just long enough where nobody else knew what he was doing, but it would get my attention. And I would look up at him, and with his look, hear what he would say to me. Son, when I get done ministering to all these people, I'm going to go home and I'm going to minister to you. I'm going to lay hands on you, and you're never going to be the same again. And I remember this was back in the day where after a church service, people would invite the pastor out to go eat. Anybody remember those days? (laughs) And uh, everyone would be having a good time. They'd be laughing, eating up. But I had no appetite because I was on death row. And I knew what was going to be happening when I got home. And sure enough, you know, we would be on the drive home and... um, I would be, you know, trying to do the reverse psychology thing, like, oh, I shouldn't have been talking. That was so disrespectful, dad. I was, that was, you, you should spank me really hard and I deserve it. Like hoping that he'd be like, oh, his heart's already softened. But we'd get to the house and I would hear the dreaded sound that still gives me chills today of the belt coming through the belt loops. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just that, you know? And immediately when I heard that, I was a changed man. I really was. Like immediately I was repenting. I was like, whatever i did i won't do it again or whatever i didn't do i will do it i promise i'll never throw a butter knife at my brother again i promise i will i will eat my vegetables i'll eat grant's vegetables i'll do whatever it takes you know and if that didn't work then i'd begin to negotiate And so dad would turn me over and i'd be like wait, wait 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 wait, one more thing i just got one more thing to say and he'd be like what and i was like don't spank me <laughs> you know and he'd be like no and of course he would spank me right he would wear my little bottom out and um As a kid, I thought dad did this because he hated me. Now that I'm an adult and I have my own children, I realize that dad did this because he loved me. Because he saw me heading in a direction that if I would have continued to head that way unchecked and unabated, it would have harmed me. And because dad loved me, he said, you know what, son, I'm going to enforce some discipline on you to help change your direction, to help reroute your life. And that is exactly where we find ourselves in our story this morning. If you remember from the previous weeks, God came to this little prophet, Jonah, and he said, Jonah, I have an assignment for you. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell them to repent of their sins, and you see, what you need to know about Nineveh is it was a, they were a very ferocious people. In fact, if there was a, an Olympic sport for torturing your enemies, they would get the gold medal because they figured out a way to literally skin their enemies alive. And so, not a very nice people. They're actually enemies to Jonah and the Israelites. And so Jonah looks and he says, no, I hate these people. I want nothing to do with these people. In fact, I would rather they burn in hell than be forgiven. And so what Jonah does, and we can put the map up for you so you can see it again and get a context for what this was like. Jonah was probably right around, uh, just a little bit above where Joppa is, about where the A is. He gets a word from God to go to Nineveh, but instead the Bible says that he, he went down to Joppa to a seaport. And according to the Jesus Storybook Bible, which my family and I love, I don't know if any of you have it. If you don't have it, you should get it, read it to your kids. What this Jesus Storybook Bible says is he caught one ticket to not Nineveh. He said, I will go anywhere but Nineveh. And so what he actually does is he heads 25 or attempts to head 2,500 miles over to Tarshish. Literally, it was as far as a ship could go in the ancient world. He said, I want to go to the ends of the earth so I can get away from God and his call on my life. And as we talked about last week, because God loves Jonah, he interrupted his life. He sent a storm into Jonah's life to wake him up. If you remember the sailors who are on the ship, the storm comes and clearly they have seen many storms before, but they've never seen a storm like this. So they're freaking out. They go to Jonah and say, what in the world is going on? What has caused all of this, uh, you know, stuff that's going on around us? And Jonah says, okay, I'll be honest. It's me. I'm sinning against God. And obviously you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. My sin is affecting you now. And if you don't want to die, you better throw me overboard. And so the sailors just, okay, oh, one. A two. You know, a three. They throw Jonah overboard. And at this part of the story, you would think, okay, the end. The sea is now calm. Jonah is a goner. God gets his revenge. Next book of the Bible. And yet what happens? In verse 17, God appoints a fish to swallow Jonah up. He's not done with Jonah. God sends a storm to wake Jonah up, to get him to think about what he has been doing for the purpose of redirecting his life. And I want you to just think this morning about your own life. Before we go any further into chapter 2 and talk about what happens within the fish, let me just ask you this. What storm are you waiting on this morning? What storm are you waiting on to turn your heart back to God? Some of you this morning, you're running from God. You know, there are things in His Word that He has called you to do, and you said, I'll do it in the future. As we talked about last week, delayed obedience is still disobedience. And so let me just ask you this morning what is it? What storm are you waiting on? Is it a drug overdose? Is it to get busted by your spouse? Are you waiting to lose your job? Are you waiting for your health to decline, for your house to be repossessed? What storm are you waiting on for God to wake you up and to get you back on the right direction? All of us in here tend to run from God. Good news is, before God sends a storm, I think typically He'll send us some gentle reminders, He'll give us sermons. He'll give us his word. He gives us things like fight clubs and missional communities to speak into our lives. And listen, because God loves us, if we continue to hear this and go, Eh, it's probably right, but not going to do it. God, if he loves you, if you are his child, he will send a storm to wake you up. That is what we see happening right here with Jonah. The sailors throw him overboard God appoints a fish to swallow Jonah up, and it is inside of the fish that we see God do a work inside of Jonah's heart. If you look back with me in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Jonah was running from God, now he's talking to God. Everything has been stripped away, there's nothing left to do. It's just him and God. God says, I'm gonna set you in a time out to think about what you've done. And God gets Jonah's attention. Jonah prays to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, Listen to this. I called out to the Lord, why? Out of my distress. Isn't it true for some of you in here, the first time you cried out to God was in your distress? I know it was for me. You've heard my story. It was after this girl that I worshiped, my God, said bye-bye to me. And then I went on academic probation in college. I made a mess of my life. And finally, I cried out to God in my distress. I said, there's nothing else I can do. I have to go to you. You have to rescue me. For some of you, I know your story was, you cried out to God for the first time when you were in the back of a police car. You cried out to God for the first time when you were in a prison cell or when you were looking at a pregnancy test or when you knew you were about to have to go to your spouse and break the bad news to them. It was then that you cried out to God. For obvious reasons, Jonah is in distress. This guy was a popular prophet, and now he is just sloshing around in the stomach of a fish. I mean, there literally could not be any crappier of a situation to be in. He is in distress. And then look at verse 2. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And look what happened next. And he answered me. Guys, this blows my mind. Because you know what this tells us? And I'm going to put it on the screen for you because I think it's so important for us to get today. What this tells us is the God of a Bible is a God who listens to the desperate cries... From desperate people who are in desperate circumstances by their own creation. You ever heard anybody say before, hey, God only helps those who help themselves. Really? According to the Bible and according to this story here, we have a God who listens to the cries of desperate people. Who are in desperate situations because of their own creation. I was reminded this past week, as I was thinking about this, of my oldest child, who, by the way, let me just talk about this for a second. She started preschool this past week. Anybody else have a kid that started preschool this past week or or kindergarten? Okay, several of you. All right. Um, I did not think I would be at this. This has nothing to do with my sermon. I just really want to tell you this because it'll help me. I had no idea that I would be emotionally affected by that anyway. Um, I mean, like I knew they'd be like, oh, great, you know, and whatever. But, but I was so shaken Monday morning. Literally, I brushed my teeth with my son's toothbrush. And I didn't even notice it until I'm like in it. And I'm like, this doesn't taste right. And I was like, oh, it's Paw Patrol toothpaste. And so like I told Megan on the way to school, I was like, I was so shaken. I actually brushed my teeth with Wyatt's toothbrush. And she goes, oh, my gosh, I didn't even brush my teeth. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not as bad as you. And so, anyways, but she had a great week. And so, but I was thinking this past week about, um, about Nora, my oldest child, about a time last year where we went to the beach with uh, my brother and sister-in-law and my parents. And, and Nora, the first time she's been to the beach, and she's sitting there, and I'm like, okay, you, know, you can kind of stay in knee-deep water, but don't kind of venture out away from me. I don't want a wave to come and knock you over. But sure enough, I'm sitting there, and, and, I'm, and I go to get a shell. When I do, I hear like this just cry. And I look, and Nora has been knocked over by a wave. She's got a mouthful of salt water, right? And she's like trying to like pull the sand and like pull herself back up, but the water is kind of pulling her. And so in that moment, what do you think I did? When I heard the cries of my daughter, I picked her up out of her mess. I did not look at her and say, you did this. I told you not to do it. You did it anyway. It's your fault. Get yourself out of it. No, my daughter cried out to me, and because I love her, in her distress, I pulled her out. And that is exactly what we see right here in Jonah. Isn't it great to know that we have a merciful God who is a loving Father that says to you today, no matter how far you've run, no matter how big of a mess you're in, even if you created it by your own stupidity, you cry out to me, I'll answer. I'll answer. Jonah goes on. He says, out of my distress, I called out to God, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol. That's his way of saying out of the belly of hell. He's saying literally, I was hurting like hell is what he's saying. I cried out and you heard my voice. Can't you see Jonah's heart beginning to change here? And then look what he says in verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounding me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. This is Jonah's way of saying, I realize now, God, everything that has happened, you caused it to happen. Everything that's happened, it's happened, God, because I was running from you. I was disobeying, and in your merciful discipline, you pursued me. He says, I'm realizing, God, that you are all powerful. You're powerful over all things, and yet you did not use your power to crush me. You used your power to save me. I was heading down a path of destruction. Rather than you letting me go, you pursued me. You pursued me through the storm. You pursued me through the lots. You pursued me through this fish. And I realize that now, God, the storm, the fish, all of this calamity, it is your way of disciplining me for the sake of rerouting and redirecting my life. I realize that in my heart. And God, I realize that you did this not to pay me back, but to bring me back into a relationship with you. Guys, just so you know, this is a picture of true repentance. Jonah here, though it's hard to see maybe on the surface level, is beginning to own his sin. He's realizing the reason that I am where I am is because of my own disobedience. I have been running from God, and God in his love has done whatever it takes in order to redirect and reroute my life to bring me back into a right relationship with him. He goes on then in verse 4, and he says, I I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. That might seem weird. You're like, Jonah's nowhere close to the holy temple, so what is he doing here? Well, literally the temple in the Old Testament was the place where you experienced the presence of God. Isn't it interesting that in chapter 1, Jonah's trying to flee from the presence of God. In chapter 2, he's being reminded of the presence of God. He's meditating on the presence of God. The waters closed in over me. To take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. You know it's been a bad day when you got weeds wrapped around your head. At the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land. Whose bars closed up on me. Forever. I mean God is literally bringing Jonah. To an end to himself. And look what he says here. In verse 6. Yet you brought my life. Up from the pit. O Lord my God. The same pit you took me into, when I cried out, you pulled me out of it. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And don't miss verse 8. I think this is so important because he sums up here the dilemma that all of us are in as runners. What we're all doing, whether we realize it or not. He says in verse 8, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of the steadfast love. Now, what in the world is Jonah talking about here? He, he's running from God. He's talking about himself. And then he says, those, he groups himself in here, who pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. What is Jonah talking about? Let me tell you. What Jonah is saying, you've got to get this. When you are running from God, you are always running to something else that you believe is better than God. When you are running from God, You are always running to something else you believe is better than God. For some of you this morning, maybe it's pleasure. You believe the lie that if it tastes good, it feels good, it smells good, then it must be good. You are someone who thinks, if I'm going to live a happy life, I need to pursue instant gratification. I need to pursue comfort at all costs. For others in here, maybe you're not pursuing pleasure, you're pursuing popularity. I don't know if it's because of something that happened in your childhood. I don't know what it may be. But for some of you, you are still trying to give your life to getting affirmation and acclaim from other human beings more than you care about your own relationship with God. By how you spend your money, by how you spend your time, You care about trying to get other people to say you're the man or you're the woman. You wear a mask. I mean, it's exhausting the double life that you live to try to impress other people because you believe that if man would praise you, that would feel better than in a relationship with God. For others, maybe it's not pleasure, it's not popularity, maybe for some of you it's success, it's this idea that my value is tethered to my accomplishments, and so if I can get a bigger bank account, a bigger house, more money, whatever, like if I can just accomplish more, get that raise, you know, get that promotion, then I know I'll be satisfied. And what Jonah says in here should get all of our attention because he says, look, every single one of us who are running to these things, who are building our life on these things, who are working so hard to obtain these things, what will happen is in the end, if we get them, we will realize that the cost was not worth the reward. It wasn't worth it. That what we gave up was not worth what we received. He says, because what you will discover is that in that long, hard pursuit of this thing that you believed was better than God, you actually, he says in here in verse 8, in your process of the pursuit, you forfeit the thing that you need the most. And what is it that you forfeit? You forfeit a relationship with the God of the universe. He says, you miss out on the love of God. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a culture that loves the idea of love. That's why the top movies that are grossing in the box office are centered around love stories. That's why if you get on the top 100 billboards, you look at the top songs, they're all love songs. In fact, the number one song, I think it's actually number two now, is a song by my man Justin Bieber. It's called Cold Water. Listen to these lyrics. Number two song on the planet. If you feel like you're sinking, I'll jump right over into cold, cold water for you. And although time may take us different places, I will still be patient with you. And I hope you know I won't let you go. I'll be your lifeline tonight. Oh, no, I won't let you go. I'll be your lifeline tonight. It's the chorus that repeats twice like that. (laughs) you don't listen to Bieber (laughs) Um, super popular song and I don't think it's just because Justin Bieber is that amazing of a musician I think it's because he is hitting on something that resonates with all of us and the fact that everybody in here wants a love that's so strong that you know that if you feel like you're sinking that person can be your lifeline let me tell you something only God can fit that bill Only God will stand the test of time. We see it here with Jonah. We see it throughout the entire Bible. And many of you can testify to yourself. The Bible says that God's love is the love that we need. God's love is different than anything else on this planet. God's love is unmatched. It cannot be found online. His love, we know, can break every chain. It breathes life into dead things. It can take broken sinners like me and turn me into pastors. God's love changes the game. And if you have not experienced it, man, I pray that changes for you today. Did you know the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that you were born with eternity in your heart? I want you to think about that. When God brought you into this world, he birthed eternity in your heart. That means that each of us right now, we long for something that cannot break. We long for something that cannot fade away. We long for something that cannot be pulled from us. And listen, guys, the only one who fits that bill is God. What that then means is that whenever you chase after things of the world, when you chase after vain idols, you actually miss out on the salvation and the satisfaction that you are longing for that is only found in Him. That's what sin does, guys. Do you realize when we're chasing after these idols, you're actually trying to find God. You're just confused. And you begin to believe that the creation is better than the creator and if you continue to chase after it guys I'm telling you you're going to come to the end of your life and you're going to say all I have is a stinking worthless idol and I traded it for the love of the creator of the universe maybe that's where you find yourself this morning here's the good news it does not have to remain that way and here's how I know that is true because in verse 9 as Jonah comes to an end of his prayer, he says, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. I, What I have vowed, I will pay back. This is his way of saying, I surrender all. I will lay down my entire life for you. Why? Here's what he says. You've got to catch this. Verse 9. If you ever want to know what the entire Bible is about, here it is. It's summed up in just five words. It's the point of the whole Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord salvation belongs to the Lord. Listen to me carefully. The truth is there are three types of people in the room this morning. You're one of three people. There are irreligious people. There are religious people. And then there are Christians. The irreligious person this morning who sits here is like, actually, I don't even know why I'm here or how I got here. I'll tell you why you're here because you're searching. But here's what the irreligious person says. I don't think I need salvation. The religious person says salvation is something that I can earn. The Christian's the one that says salvation belongs to the Lord. The Christian is the one who, like Jonah, says, you know what? I'm an absolute mess. I am spiritually bankrupt before God. I realize that even on my best days, I do not impress Him. In fact, even on my best days, because of my sin, I deserve hell. But thanks be to God, though I am worse than I could ever imagine, I know I am more loved than I ever dreamed. And that is why God sent His Son, Jesus, to live a perfect life I could never live, to die a death I deserve to die, and then rose from the dead so that I can have a relationship with the God of the universe who I have been longing for. Because this is the good news of the gospel. Listen to me carefully. Salvation is not something you earn or deserve. you realize, like, I did not become a Christian at 20 years old because God looked and said, Man, that Jared Pickney, man, he looks pretty impressive. I mean, not right now, but I can see in the future he's going to plant a church. I need to save that dude. No. Salvation is completely an undeserved gift from a completely unobligated giver. And today, you can experience it. You can have the love of God flood your heart. And all you have to do to experience a salvation is to do what the Bible calls repentance. Whoa, repentance. Hang on, I thought this was a church about grace. What's this repentance stuff all about? Repentance really has a bad rap. Repentance is a very beautiful thing. Let me just really quickly explain to you what repentance is. Repentance is not, just to be clear, being sorry for your consequences. Repentance is not your spouse catching you looking at porn and going, God damn, I'm so sorry about this. This stinks. Like This is so inconvenient. Oh, this is the consequences. That they're nagging at me. That's not repentance. Repentance is to realize that your sin is first and foremost against a holy God. The God who alone can give you your heart's desire and end your brokenness. What repentance is, is turning from that sin to turning to this God. It's turning from trusting in this idol to trusting in Jesus. It's saying, God, I realize that I've been chasing after this idol, after this thing that I have believed is better than you, but now I am confessing you are better, and therefore I'm going to loosen my grip on this thing, and I'm going to cling to you. That's repentance. And as a result, what do you get back in return? Life. The life you've been longing for. The love that you have been craving that you know, look at me guys, you know you cannot find it in your spouse. You know you cannot find it even in your children or the things that's what it does not do it for you. Why? Because you were made for a love bigger than something in this world. And you can have it today in God. Maybe for some of you look and you say, yeah man, and I'm going to get there someday. I am. I'm going to get there someday. That's why I've been coming. On Sunday, I'm going to get there one day. I just have some stuff I got to clean up first. I got some things I've got to get in order. If there was ever a story to blow that idea up, it's the story of Jonah. Where is Jonah when he experiences salvation? Fish guts. The dude's wearing a seaweed bandana. Jonah is restored to a relationship with God when he is sitting in the stomach of a fish. What that should remind you of today is this wonderful truth. It does not matter how much you think you stink. It does not matter how messed up you think you are. How far you have run from God, you can encounter His love right now. And the reason I know this is true is because the Bible says it's true. In Romans chapter 5, the Bible tells us that while we were still in our sin, that Christ came and he died for you and me. He didn't say, clean yourself up first and then we'll negotiate a deal. Before you ever lifted a finger for God, he said, man, I love you so much, I'm going to give my life for you. We said each week, Jesus Christ really is the better Jonah. And this week we we're reminded of that because in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, it says that Jonah metaphorically was in the belly of Sheol, in the belly of hell. Jesus Christ literally went to the belly of hell for you and me. He took on hell for you. He went to the cross and took on the wrath of God. He paid the penalty we deserve to pay for our sins. And you know what's incredible to me to think about? When he cried out to God in his distress... All he got back was silence. So that the Jonas of the world, when they call out to God in distress, can be answered. Jesus on the cross, as he sat in there bloody and beaten, dying for you and me because of the mess we got ourselves in. He cried out to his father and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The son of God was forsaken by his Father, so you and I will never be forsaken if we will trust in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. How crazy is that? Is that not the craziest story you've ever heard in your entire life? And yet it's true. After Jesus died, he rose from the dead. He didn't just endure death, he conquered it. So that we can now experience the presence of God. Wherever you are, whatever you've been doing, you can experience the presence of God. And as a result, look at me today. You can finally experience the freedom and the fulfillment, the satisfaction and the salvation you have been longing for. I was talking with Randy this past week um, about his own Jonah story, about how he ran from God for years. I don't know. Everybody knows Randy's voice and probably knows of randy randy's up here in the third row and um man i love what god has done in randy's heart randy he shared with me how whenever he was in his early 20s he actually played in the atlanta braves organization baseball was his god really believe that that would be the thing that satisfies you right man the big bucks the fame all that man it's all you need right and then you get injured and you have to look somewhere else for satisfaction. So Randy said, what I did is I began to look to alcohol. I looked to women for my God. I, ha- I needed a God. I needed salvation, needed satisfaction. I looked to the alcohol. I looked to the women. And he said, what's interesting is God tried so hard, he said, to get my attention and to wake me up. In fact, in 1989, Randy Rogers was hit by a train. True story. Randy Rogers the only person I've ever known in my entire life to get hit by a train and live to tell about it. Hit by a train. He said it didn't wake him up. Health began to decline, had ulcers, had a different skin issues, and all that. He said, Eventually, you know, I got my kids in church. I was like, Well, I know they need church, and I, you know, I'll attend, you know, with them every now and then so they can, you know, maybe they can get a little Jesus if I'm there or whatever. But he said, I didn't want to give my life to Jesus. I didn't buy into that. And he said, One day he was sitting there at the end of the service, just like this, pastor's trying to land the plane, you know, and he makes a call to people to give their life to Christ. And he says, This old saint, this woman behind me, he said, tapped me on the, on the shoulder and says, Randy Rogers, Jesus is after you. And he was like hush you know And he's like he's he's like clinging the you know He's like white knuckling the the, the pew You know and he said man I'm just Nervous And he said in that moment I thought I got to get out Of here so literally physically he began to run From God he head towards the back door He said I got to get out of this place He gets to the back door and he realizes I've never Run from anything in my entire life and now I'm trying to run from God And he said in that moment for the first time Ever I surrendered my life to Jesus and there was a peace, and there was a love that immediately flooded my soul, like I've never experienced before. And here he is today, serving. I mean, his entire life has changed. His marriage was changed. He told me this past week. He's like, man, if Jesus would not have broken into my life, I'd been divorced within the next year got kids. I mean, kids, a youth pastor here. I mean, it's just amazing, man, to think about with the grace of God on your life and what he's done. And man, here's the thing. God didn't do that because Randy's special. I mean, he is special in some ways. (laughs) Man, can you admit this morning you've been running? Can you admit this morning You've been putting your hope in a vain idol, and can you turn to Jesus?